Welcome to Today on Broadway for Thursday, June 18th, 2020. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. I'm on my own for today as Ashley had something to do on Wednesday night. I actually also watched uh, Rebecca Luker's concert and fundraiser for Project ALS. It was absolutely touching and lovely. And I know she's said this in other places before, but it was still a little jarring to hear Rebecca Luker say that since March, she has been wheelchair bound. Her legs are are no longer functioning, um, but she still has that voice. She said that there were still things in her voice that she can't do like she used to. She doesn't have the breath support, the diaphragm, but she was still lovely. She sang three songs or tons of tears for me while she sang that all these stars sent supporting messages. Santino Fontana was kind of the host and MC, and he actually broke in before Rebecca sang her last song and told a story about um, why that song being sung by Rebecca was so important to him. Um, He actually was doing a concert with Rebecca that night that he first heard her sing that song. It was also the night that he met his wife. Uh, And then, of course, her husband, Danny Burstein, did a special message at the end of the show. So very, very emotional. Um, If you would like to contribute to Project ALS, they are getting ready to do a very promising clinical trial with Columbia University. You can text LUKER, L-U-K-E-R, to 44. Three, two, one. Also, Ashley will be here on the show by herself tomorrow because I'm actually watching another concert, a virtual concert on Thursday night, this time with a great Tony Award winner and our friend here at Broadway Radio, Lena Hall. So I will be doing that on Thursday while Ashley brings you the news. On today's episode, I do have a, a short interview at the end of the episode with Caitlin McCain, who is directing an upcoming virtual reading of Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. But in honor of Pride Month, it is... I don't want to say it's being queerified, but they are very much highlighting some LGBTQ plus elements from their performers and in the text and casting itself. So you will want to wait and listen to that interview with Caitlin at the end of the show. Of course, as always, you can hear all of our interviews first in our Patreon feed at www.patreon.com slash Broadway Radio. One last thing I did want to mention about the Rebecca Luker Project ALS benefit. By the time that they had signed off, they had already raised over $200,000 just for that event alone. And uh, if you can, I know everyone's asking for money and we're recommending you give money when you can. But if you can, again, text Luker to 44321. Okay, let's get on to the news. We're going to start off today with the fact that on Wednesday, British mega producer Cameron McIntosh announced that along with his producing partners, he would be delaying the returns of all of the productions in his theaters until, quote, as early as practical in 2021. The shows in question are Les Miserables, Mary Poppins, Hamilton, and The Phantom of the Opera. Now, this does not apply to any of the other shows in London's West End. This is just for the Cameron McIntosh shows that are in the theaters that he owns and operates. But, you know, I think that we all understand that this is an inevitability for Broadway. But I am sure that there were many who were hoping that in countries that have their act together somewhat better than we do here in the U.S., that theater might return sooner rather than later. We talked about the production of Rent in South Korea on yesterday's show. I don't know if other theaters in London, whether they are West End or somewhere outside of London, will return sooner than this. But Karen McIntosh is a very powerful man. If he is deciding to wait until 2021 at some point, that is probably a good indication that he knows that that is probably the soonest that it will be safe. In related news, on Wednesday, Oxford Economics released a report revealing that over 400,000 creative jobs could be lost due to the health crisis in the UK, along with a possible combined revenue drop of £74 billion. Additionally, the report reveals that creative industries are projected to be hit twice as hard as the wider economy overall. 
theater specifically is projected to shrink 61%, losing 3 billion pounds or $3.8 billion in revenue with up to 70% of its jobs lost. The next biggest projected decrease within the creative field is from the UK film, television, video, and photography industries, all of those on-camera stuff, which are projected to shrink 57% and to lose 36 billion pounds, which is $45.3 billion. If you need a good reason to cry today, I will have a link in the show notes for the full report. In other news, yesterday it was reported that the Barnes & Noble on the Upper West Side at 150 East 86th Street has closed its doors and is currently in the process of attempting to find a smaller location in the neighborhood. If you've ever seen photos or videos of cast album signings from the past 10 years, there's a really good chance that they were from this location, so hopefully they find a spot that can also accommodate those events in the future. And finally, on Wednesday, Broadway HD announced that next Thursday, June 25th, they will host a special free sing-along watch party of Live from Lincoln Center's broadcast of Falsettos in honor of Pride Month. Now, I, I don't know that Falsettos is the show that I would pick for a sing-along, but of course, there's never a bad time to watch Falsettos, in my opinion, so as you were, carry on Broadway HD. All right, that's all the news that we have for today. So next up is my interview with Caitlin McCain, who is directing the No Exit Theater Collective's upcoming reading of Twelfth Night. In our conversation, you will hear us talking about the fact that with every reading that No Exit Theater Collective does, and you've heard me talk with the company's co-artistic director, Ben Natan, before, but they split proceeds from a virtual tip jar with a charity and with the artists participating. If you would like to contribute to the tip jar, you can send them a donation via Venmo. Their handle is at noexit-tc. Again, that's at noexit-tc. Their upcoming reading of Twelfth Night will take place on Monday, June 22nd at 7 p.m. on Facebook Live. I will have a link to their event page in the show notes. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Caitlin McCain. So uh, let's just start with this upcoming live reading of Twelfth Night. It is in the middle of Pride Month, and I understand that you kind of have a somewhat unusual or untraditional uh, approach to this production. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so for Pride Month, uh, No Exit wanted to prioritize LGBTQ plus creatives in casting and project submissions for the month. And they decided uh, on Twelfth Night. And then when it was shared with our community um, of actors, it was, you know, publicized that we would like to prioritize LGBTQ plus creatives. So there was not a question on the casting of do you identify with this community, but rather just that call was put out and then whatever actors submitted, um, that was who we chose from. So that's kind of where the casting fits in. And then Ben approached me asking if I would be interested in directing. Um, and I love 12th night and was very excited to be able to do something creative, uh, in honor of pride month. Um, so I was, happy to accept. And from there, I've had my ideas about it. But what I really wanted to focus on was that we had this kind of organically diverse cast come in to the table. And I thought, why would I try to put something on this text 
that is not already represented by the folks that we have in the room or mm-hmm. our Zoom room. <laughs> yeah. So what I did is I began the exploration of this text with the question, with posing the question to the cast of what part of your identity do you want to be maintained and celebrated in your character? So a very broad question of what part of you do you want in this story? That could be sexual identity. That could be the LGBTQ plus part of you. We also have members of the cast who do not identify with that community. So what part of you, of your identity do you want in this narrative? Um, We also have a racially diverse cast. So what part of your racial identity do you want explored? Um, And all of those intersections. So posing that question, what came out of it were character elements that I could never have imagined for this reading. Um, And they were honest and human because it began with the actor, not me, director, putting something onto them. And so our exploration has been very truthful and just using the text to support the identities that we have in the room. And I would imagine trying to mine those details and come up with how you're going to include those individual real life, you know, parts of people's lives and personalities and putting Mm -hmm. it into a classic text like this. I would imagine that that's not necessarily an easy thing to do in a normal situation, but in a rushed shortened uh, kind of rehearsal schedule when you're doing everything, like you said, in a Zoom room rather than actually around a real table. Like, how has that process been in trying to not only do the normal things you do in a rehearsal, you know, with the the normal directing things, but trying to include those elements that all of the different artists brought to their characters and trying to incorporate that? How has that been either helped or hindered by the fact that you're doing this all remotely? Yeah, well, it puts a lot of responsibility on the actor. Um, so once the question was posed, we had, you know, a 30 minute part of one of our first rehearsals to discuss it, put it in the room. I wrote down what that one thing was and then encouraged them that that was their point of access for our exploration. So we did a read through, which that's more or less the same, um, being virtual or, or in the room. Um, and after that, we began a work through. So really that that process was inspired by ways that I've worked in the past in actual physical rehearsal rooms of we sit at the table and we discuss the text for a long time, especially with classical pieces. Um, And that seems like the best way to do this because we're not getting up on our feet. It is a reading and how can we maintain practices from the physical rehearsal room and keep them on zoom. Um, So it hasn't been a hindrance per se, but we definitely, (laughs) as we're doing our work through, we have to, I have to be very specific about telling actors, okay, this is what I'd like pulled out in this scene. This is what I'd like to be highlighted based on. So we'll go through the scene once they'll read it um, with the elements that we've talked about. And then I'll pretty quickly say, can we pull this, this, and this up in the text? And then we'll read it again. And then that's kind of solidified. And that's basically the work that will happen for that scene. And the next time we go through it will be for our tech run. And so so what is the total rehearsal time? How many sessions do you all have? Yeah, five days with two hours 
a night. So we're from seven to nine, Monday through Friday. Yeah. And, and, uh, that obviously would probably require a little bit of work from everybody outside of that, like a normal rehearsal process would. But that still uh, right. seems very uh, compact, even for for just a reading. But um, that's pretty incredible. Now, yeah. you've been through this process with no exit from the actor side because you played Ophelia in the Hamlet a few weeks ago, correct? Yes. Yes. How is that process? How is that process different for you as an actor than it is? being a director, obviously the difference between acting and directing, but beyond that, how has that yeah. process been different or more informative from the different perspectives? Yeah. As an actor, um, the thing I found myself struggling with was the multitasking of Zoom acting, of turning your camera <laughs> off and on, unmuting yourself, um, forgetting to unmute yourself and having everybody stare at you very strangely. Did you actually um, do that at times? Uh, oh, yes. Through the rehearsal process, for sure. <laughs> yeah, But not um, on the actual uh, uh, reading no, night itself. No, That's good. It, very good. I got it together by then. Yeah, you're a trained um, professional. And... You know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and figuring out eyeline um, and yeah. how to how to interact with partner uh, my training I trained um, I went through NYU and my training studio was the Cell Adler studio of acting and we're so partner-based and so having people on the screen and wanting to interact with them but that's not actually a successful eyeline you want to be looking at the camera because that's going to read best um, so that was very hard to navigate um, but oh, that's interesting. in its presentation. Yeah, that's interesting. So it, obviously, you know, th- this is a very cliche for us non-actors, but like you always hear acting is reacting. But I bet it, it when you have mm-hmm. to react to things that you're watching peripherally, if you're watching, if you're looking at the camera yeah. to make eye contact there, I would imagine that that is something that takes a little bit of getting used to. Yeah. And so it really became a vocal and auditory medium. Um and making sure that the voice was reacting and sharing these, you know, acting as reacting moments rather than physically a physical body uh, embodiment of that, that it was reflected in the voice so that we could hear and respond that way. That's super interesting. So with this, um, well, with all of the no exit projects, but especially with this one, I know that they have the tip jar and every, performance has a charity that that they give parts of the proceeds to the charity or the organization or the fund that 12th night is 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 sponsoring so to speak is the black trans protester fund and obviously this is kind of something that takes uh not just pride month but also what we're seeing in the real world and and puts both of them into an applicable uh charitable organization here right now was this something that you were involved right. with in determining what the organization was here? Does this come from no exit or, or where did that, uh, the idea yeah. for that specific one come from? Yeah. So Ben approached me, um, when we, when I signed on to the project, uh, about researching, uh, organizations to support that specifically supported, uh, BIPOC community as well as the LGBTQ plus community and focusing on perhaps the most vulnerable, um, of that community, the trans community. Um, and so in, I wanted to take it to the cast as well, because I knew that we had brilliant activists and minds um, who could have some really good insight. And then we kind of researched as a team, and then we landed on the Black Trans Travel Fund, who had also uh, a few weeks ago been pairing with other organizations to post bail 
for Black trans women who had been arrested during protests um, during the past couple of weeks. And that's kind of how we came to that. Is it was a group effort. And then also deciding that we wanted to support a smaller, um, more local organization, whereas the larger nationwide organizations are receiving more uh, financial support. Sure. We wanted to make sure that the smaller ones were being supported as well. That's great. Um, going back to the whole idea of this being a little bit unusual because you're working remotely through Zoom, have you, have you found that the process is different? Are you relying as a director more on the ability to make things happen in the process? Or do you have to be even more um, planned out as to what you're looking for because you're dealing with lag in video and audio and all that stuff? Mm -hmm. Or are you able to kind of be spontaneous and live in the moment of the rehearsal as you would if you were actually in a room together? Yeah. Well, this is my first time directing a Zoom piece. So I'm still learning. Yeah, I think that that's probably true for a lot of folks. Yeah. Yeah. But I can say the way I've approached this time and then we'll see when we do the full read the final presentation, (laughs) if it was wrong or not. uh, I've tried to keep that kind of improvisation and playfulness present uh, in the process. And like, what if we did this? Let's try this. Um, I also am maintaining a little more of the visual aspect um, whereas Hamlet was very much an auditory experience not fully Mm -hmm. because our cameras were still on but the focus was put there um of course focus on the language and how that's supported by the voice but also i want because it's a comedy i wanted some fun elements uh of visual things i also think that helps making with making the story accessible to more audiences um you know it's not just going to be shakespeare nerds like ourselves uh (laughs) watching and who know this show and have seen it but I also want young people to be able to say, oh, I kind of want to keep watching this because that person just did that really funny thing with their feet, you know? (laughs) Um, So there's little (laughs) things that I'm continuing to work in um, for the sake of broader storytelling. That may work. It may not. I think it's working right now. Um, Knock on wood. But yeah. Yes, knock on wood, it's working. Um, But that, And a big part of it is No Exit was created in the hopes of making space for artists who no longer had that space because of COVID. And that, I think, is why so many of us act and and do this crazy thing is because of the improv and the fun and the discovery. And if I take that out and just start being very technical about it because it's on screen and there's all of those other elements that you're talking about, I think that's doing a disservice to the artists involved. That's great. I mean, I think that's the perfect answer. I mean, I've spoken with Ben before and the whole idea of this is to keep people engaged and active and not only just to do it because it's, you know, something to stay busy, but also to build a community and that hopefully will continue far beyond this lockdown, far beyond these individual readings and will be something that, all of you can build upon and interact with when theater presumably gets back to happening uh, in the real world. So 
Um, I think it's great. I'm fascinated by this whole thing, and I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what you and the the cast come up with uh, uh, for this next reading. So, real quick, you you mentioned a little bit about the fact that the cast is racially diverse uh, in terms of sexual identity. It is very diverse. Mm-hmm. Can you just tell me a little bit about? the cast, anything that we should look forward to um, for this next reading? Yeah. Well, the cast is wonderful. I had the opportunity to bring in some people that I had worked with in the Shakespeare community previously, and then um, Ben from his community and other people who submitted. um, So that's really exciting, working with people again um, who are brilliant and then meeting new brilliant people. Um, I guess as far as like a specific piece uh, to delve into. Um, In our querying of the text, we kind of found that Malvolio, the character of Malvolio, was going to be our most uh, obvious exploration um, in that way. And so our Malvolio is being played um, as female identifying uh, by a wonderful actor named Anastasi. And our Olivia is also being played by a female identifying character. Um, which is less of a choice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but that, the way that tracks. That we're, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty normal. Yeah. Um, but the switching uh, the gender of Malvolio, uh, that choice has has colored Malvolio in a really human way. And Anna is doing such a beautiful job of justifying Malvolio's protection of Olivia and jealousy over Cesario through this lens of what is it to be in love with another woman. Um, and we've discussed that that the world of our play, you know, this alternative lifestyle is something that maybe it exists, but it's definitely not talked about. Um, And we get to see Malvolio kind of revel in this life that she could have with, with Olivia when she gets that letter, that fake letter (laughs) from Mariah. Um, And so there's a really beautiful thing happening and I'm just so excited by what Anastasia is doing with it. That's awesome. That's very fascinating. I think I, I, one of the reasons that so many people come back to Shakespeare for centuries is obviously the language holds up, but it also um, lends so much to actors diving into the characters and the psychology of each individual uh, character and, and kind of exploring it and mining it for things that are far more relevant now than they probably ever would have been in the past. I think that's uh, incredible, and it makes me very excited to see this on Monday night. So, uh, Caitlin, thank you so much for talking me through this. I'm uh, looking forward to this and, and everything else that No Exit does. And uh, good luck. Knock on wood. Break a leg on Monday night. And uh, looking forward to thank what you. you do in the future as well. Great. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Matt. Everybody have a wonderful Thursday. Ashley will be here to take you into the weekend. And then I'm sure that we will be back to talk to you on Monday.